Hello and welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Ella Sagar. And I'm Jack Benjamin. And today it's just the two of us. I'm not going to sound aging or anything. <laughs> um, as our editor, Omar Oaks, is away on holiday. Uh, but we're still here to go through some of the big recent stories in the news and talk about the bigger picture. So over the last week, you guys might have noticed we have been writing about and talking about fake out-of-home ads a fair bit on the Media Leader. I think we're at about four articles so far. Yeah, it's an important story. Yeah, for sure. And I think it was it was just quite a bizarre turn of events um, from the press release initially coming in and then and then all of these developments happening. Jack, you covered the original story. Yeah, so basically for anyone who hasn't been following the coverage, but uh, we received a, a press release from a, a PR comms agency called Cut the Bowl, I think is what it yeah. was. And um, basically saying that there was an ad being run on the top of London buses for uh, Jim Box. I think it was like Ariel Pilates class or something. So we reported on it because we thought that's quite you know interesting. It's, you know you don't see those types of activations every day. Although you know apparently they those ads had run previously in like in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Um, the Economist had taken out ads like that, and then TFL uh, inform us you know as soon after that story goes up that it's literally not possible for that ad to have run mm-hmm. and obviously then that that ad isn't real um and so we we'd been uh, spoofed basically mm-hmm. yeah and i think also it was covered in in other publications as yeah. well um but i do think there has been a lot of news about you know the maybelline fake ad that we've talked about on the podcast before and and other kinds of augmented realities filters that you might see where there's like handbags on taxis or other things like that but Mm -hmm. i don't think an ad like a press release around that would ever pretend that that was this is a real ad that's running for a week on these on this inventory and that was quite specific about it so um that led to a bit of an investigation on our part and and i'm curious to know what you think jack after reading omar's column this morning that you know we have to be really on it with these fake ads mm. and uh does it matter if it's real or not mm. yeah well i think it, it absolutely it does and, and omar's column is, is great i wish he was here to talk about it but we, i wish him well on his uh, <laughs> much much deserved vacation but I, I i think he expressed i think how we all are sort of feeling in terms of it creates this extra level of anxiety when especially as a journalist you can't necessarily trust that uh, a press release is true i mean i think there was another ad recently that that came in that you thought about covering an out of home ad and you were like well i trust that i've talked to this uh you know person who's giving me this this bit of news before but i, I want to double check this first with the actual media owner first i don't remember which company mm-hmm. it was and hopefully that that level of due diligence it doesn't become necessary for absolutely everything but that is our it is our job at the same time but i, I think that yeah it's it's worrisome if you can't necessarily trust what is real and, and what is not. Um, and, and we've been talking about the issue of trust in news a ton this year anyway. And this is just the latest example of of perhaps undermining people's trust in the news, especially people within the industry. Because mm-hmm. I don't know how much an average consumer cares about any of this. Mm. Um, and I think that's actually a, a big issue probably for, for out-of-home owners because you the average consumer probably doesn't see every single billboard out, you know, depending on where they live, but they might see it online. Mm-hmm. And so someone could very easily just put up a mock mock up fake uh, image of something that doesn't actually exist, that wasn't actually bought and just spread it around as if it's as though it's 
you know, actual, yeah. uh, an actual activation. Yeah, it's kind of using that public forum and that like trust and kind of the authority of, of, of the billboard and being like, yeah, this is a le- legit. And I think, uh, it's, I think it's great to be creative and to kind of think about, you know, mm. what different things could we do with this medium? But I think also it's, it is a medium that, you know, it, it does need investment in and it does need spe- kind of specific planning. And, and I do believe that, I mean, the, the bizarre thing for me was that the brand and marketing director for Jim Box themselves, Rory McKinty put out, uh, an opinion piece about how brands need to, to call out fake ads more mm. in May. So I just wonder what happened between May and August for that to change and, and where this kind of came from, because yeah, it's a great idea. Okay. We found out we can't do those, those ads on the tops of like buses, but what else, what other in like places could we, could we do that? Mm. Um, it's not like there is a shortage of 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 options yeah put on a rooftop or yeah on a rooftop or something that was shown on quite a few of the like you can you can do like a big big murals or big any any number of things um but i think it was interesting talking to outdoor media owners themselves about what do you think about this and they're like well obviously it shows that people like out of home and like they think that it it's it Mm. works but it's like can you please actually run the campaign <laughs> right well i think especially with so much of the value of out of home now being derived from people sharing a really cool activation on social media it does it runs the worry of well why don't we just remove the literal out of home that would have run for like a week mm-hmm. or two in a big place and just do just post the mock-up online and pretend that it's real i mean i, I you, you could foresee bad actors doing that mm-hmm. and i so I, i'm aware that from your own reporting that that out-of-home companies are a little anxious about this. Yeah. And I think also from ahead of like the elections next year and things like that, I think that that the political advertising angle is not, we haven't seen that yet, but as a team, we've been talking about the misinformation, disinformation that is likely to rise out of the UK and the US. Yeah. And that maybe mocking up a billboard is quite an easy way to make it make a message seem quite legitimate when actually it's not. Especially if you can have AI do it a little bit or, you know, you can turn these out. We have tools now that we didn't have during the last election cycles. And uh, I think everyone should be worried about that if they aren't already or at least should be, mm-hmm. um, you know, sharpening their their uh, you know ability to discern what's real and what's not or, or make sure that they're cynically questioning certain things mm-hmm. that like mm, that doesn't i think up. maybe it will just reduce that kind of well i don't know if it's real as a consumer you're saying i'm not sure how much consumers really care i don't know how much they would notice like they might the i think the initial cup like post by the ceo jim box got like 800 shares or something and it's like oh my god this is amazing right and and i just kind of wonder like how much are we going to believe going forward as consumers of like, did that really happen? Did it not? Uh, it, and, and so then you're not as well disposed to a brand or to a news brand, even if there's like a, if you're not quite sure if you've seen like a link on social media and you're like, I don't know if that's a real headline or not. So it kind of goes mm-hmm. across advertising journalism and, and, and it's that kind of thread that goes all the way through it. Yeah. Once, once trust starts getting eroded, it's very difficult to claw that back. Um, and that speaks to a different topic uh, that uh, I wrote about l- uh, late last week, um, which was the news that Nadim Zahawi is uh, potentially involved in uh, this Telegraph mm-hmm. deal that could be going on, um, which speaks to the broad issue of trust as well, because you have a, a sitting politician who's acting as a, a middleman between 
um, potential investors from the UAE and the Barclays family in terms of, okay, we'll, we'll fund more money in order for you to repurchase the telegraph out of receivership, which it was taking into earlier this summer. Um, and to me that, that just brings up a million red flags Mm -hmm. basically. Um, I don't know what, what you sort of make of this, but from an American perspective, you know, we have obviously our politicians go into, we have politicians that go into the media often, but it's not while they're sitting, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, MPs or the, the, the equivalent of Congress people in the U S uh, it's usually afterwards. Yeah. So what is it with this country and having a load of sitting MPs increasingly on the news? On on the news, hosting television shows. And I think the way around it, I mean, obviously it's um, all broadcast TV comes under Ofcom and there are certain rules about if you're a sitting politician and and that sort of hosting. And but, Mm. um, But I think GB News in particular has quite a few shows that are fronted by sitting MPs, which I'd never really seen before. You see an MP come on a show and give an interview you right. don't see someone them being the interviewer interviewer right um, yeah it's important that they are communicating with the public yeah that, that's but to have that editorial control over what's being said doesn't seem yeah right and i think all. it's it's kind of whether it's like a news and current affairs show or whether it's uh it, there's a few different categories that it, it can come under but i think it is uh, and also there's a the i don't think that people i think it's fair this is not a big hot take that people don't really trust politicians and especially politicians that don't have, I mean, just the fact that this, this deal is going to be, is a really, really big in terms of financial value. And it's also that voice. So it's one of the most read newspapers in the UK. It's quite right. a big. And so how he has a, a history of, you know, yeah. perhaps not communicating uh, uh, tax issues properly to his to, to his own prime minister mm-hmm. and, and, and being, you know, removed as chair yeah. of the Tory party for that. So there's already a level of um, alleged, uh, I want to, I don't know if corruption is the right term, but, but certainly some dodginess some dodginess. Yeah. I think it's fair to say. So, and he was him. a co-founder of YouGov, which is the, yeah. the polling company as well. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think you're right, Jack, to, to isolate that point of that. He's still a sitting politician that has a salary to serve the constituency. Mm. And so the fact that he's, you obviously, um, it's not new MPs supplement their salaries with lots of other gigs. Um, but I, I do think that this is, this seems very, it doesn't, yeah, it seems, I don't know right. even what the word is. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's easy to get lost in like the broader story about, okay, the Telegraph being up for grabs is, is obviously the, probably the biggest story in news publishing mm-hmm. of at least in the past few months. Um, and I asked, um, I asked Nick Manning about this, uh, for the, for the story I wanted his opinion, cause he had just written an op-ed about mm-hmm. why he reads the Telegraph every day, basically to sort of have a healthier news diet. And he wants to make sure he's still attuned to mm-hmm. the sort of right wing of this country's politics. And so that's why he he reads the Telegraph. But um, he mentioned that he thinks it'll get extreme regardless of who owns it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it could be the Barclays buying it back with help from Sahawi. It could be some other foreign investor. It could be Daily Mail and General Trust if they can get past, you know. Yeah, so those are the kind of potentials, side. the big strong potentials. Yeah, we still don't know who's, who's yeah. actually going to end up owning it. But I think it was interesting that you know, even let's say that the Barclays are are now the front runner with help from foreign investing to maybe buy this back. Um, Manning, at least, still thinks it's probably going to get more extreme further to the right, regardless of who owns it, just because I think it, it sort of speaks to this sort of business model of subscription based mm-hmm. um, revenue as opposed to advertising based revenue. And, and his sort of idea is that 
you want to keep your subscribers happy so you give them a little bit more of what they want and over enough time then you end up with a product that is further to the right of where you were mm. or further to the left of where you were if you're a left-wing paper let's say and i thought that was actually quite an interesting analysis i hadn't really thought about it i uh, think it kind of goes back to maybe what we've discussed before of like do do we do publications give um new like their do they write what they think the view the readers or the viewers or whatever the listeners want to hear or is mm. it how how does that relationship work and, and how much does it matter like where you're getting the money from because mm. if you're getting money from advertisers then okay maybe you don't feel like you need to appeal just to your existing subscribers and making sure that they're happy because mm -hmm. um, you're really you're not you're concerned about the revenue from, yeah. from, from them. But if you have subscribers that are you know willing to click the unsubscribe button, if they start seeing a lot of things they don't want to be reading, then okay, maybe we need to be thinking mm -hmm. about them a little bit more. Um, obviously, I'm sure you know editorial is not necessarily told you know on a day-to-day -day basis, do this, this, and this in order to make sure that we're appeasing our, our readership. But it's an interesting... I think mm. thought process and that I must do, be going on. I do think it's interesting what Nick said in his column about kind of reading widely um, to in the kind of polarized media landscape that we're in actually was an exercise that I had to do uh, when I was uh, studying for the, my NCTJ, which is a journalism qualification. And so we had a media, like a news quiz every week, it was 10 questions and it would sometimes reference like uh, uh, quite niche articles in in so you're not just skimming like the front page and then just expecting to pass this right, test right. um but it was yeah the first day the our, our tutor was like i don't care if you're a guardian reader i don't care if you're a sun reader i don't care if you're a like a gossip mag reader you have to read everything um and you you have to care about it because some of your readers will care about it right and so i was reading the mail and the sun and the express for the first time that I'd never really, I'd never really read them before, apart from seeing a headline, maybe when I was in the shops or something or like something online, um, but not reading it cover to cover. That was quite an interesting exercise. Mm. Did you enjoy, did you enjoy reading? Last <laughs> I different? actually uh, found myself with some, not all, I think good journalism makes you react. And so whether or not you agree with it, it would a lot of times at least you can find a point being like i don't like what they said there about this I mean, that's just more with opinion pieces yeah i was gonna say or i don't like the way that this headline's done but you can kind of isolate it and so actually i think the mail made me react the most but i actually was quite surprised with not with quite a lot of the content that i was like oh, okay like i didn't think about it that way mm. and so that that was quite an interesting uh interesting exercise i would i would advise you know make yourself a nice little sunday coffee morning or something and like read a paper you would normally read um, right. and just yeah see what it's like <laughs> yeah especially if you work in media i think a lot of the trouble is for people that don't care about the news very yeah. much to try and say like oh just sit down and read every single paper oh yeah maybe not every single paper <laughs> it was it was definitely that was a lot of work i do think um maybe an article or listening to a radio station that you don't normally listen to. It, it is just quite interesting. I started listening to LBC, which I never really listened to because in my house growing up, it was BBC Radio 4 on all the time. Mm. Um, so it's just interesting to dip your toe and not not necessarily becoming a, a convert, but you're like, okay, there's other stuff out there. And I think there is that, there's an eco, there's an echo um, chamber of, oh, so I'm going to stay within mm. your, my kind of rough political views or or things like that. But there's also like that media cha echo chamber where people that work in media think that everyone is as into media. And right. it, it might be that a lot of, well, a lot of my friends don't read the news. They're just like, no, nah, I can't be bothered. 
I know, and it's, yeah. I find it very offensive yeah. <laughs> as a journalist. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think also around the kind of idea of how we consume content, um, there was some YouTube news that we should talk about. Yeah. Um, and I don't know, Jack, how, how into, you, into YouTube are you, first off? Well, I, I, historically, that might be my number one source of entertainment because mm. I, I don't know why. I think I just have certain channels that I've subscribed to for years now, and I, I check in with them every day. They might not post everything, uh, something every day. But yeah, I, I consume YouTube a lot. At the same time, uh, I have often done that with an ad blocker when I can't get you know, I just can't deal with the ad load sometimes, especially longer videos, um, which I'm aware is a very problematic statement to be made. <laughs> but hey, you know, if the user experience is that bad, then mm. um, that that people will turn to that type of behavior. Yeah. And I think so th this YouTube news was that uh, senior YouTube staff have reportedly raised concerns, this is according to the Financial Times, that it's short form for video format shorts, which is 60 seconds. Mm. um is drawing audiences away from the longer form videos because you can post mm. a youtube video it could be like a long like monologue it can be like a 20 minute video on like for instance i watch a lot of cooking videos it could be like a recipe video it could be anything but the way that you can like they can kind of put more ads in a longer video than a short one which yeah. makes sense which is what um, i was just complaining about <laughs> yeah but, but it, they're saying that shorts because i think a lot of c content creators on youtube have been incentivized to to get into the shorts format which was yeah. we should mention like along with instagram's reels kind of launched as a tiktok competitor but they're just struggling to find how to monetize it and get that revenue and i think youtube's re um, ad revenue while it's kind of come it's kind of normalized a bit more it has been sliding for a couple of three consecutive quarters i yeah. think year on year yeah, it hasn't been doing very well. I think some part of the concern is that if you have, if you're pushing long form video creators into short form, then there's only so many really popular creators basically, and they only have so much time in their day. So you might have less long form content to monetize period, let alone maybe lower quality long form content. Or um, to me, this reads as another example of uh, um, short termism among uh well, in this case, tech companies, but entertainment companies, I suppose, more broadly, um, where they really feel like they need to compete with the hot new thing. In this case, it was TikTok. So you have, yeah, you have reels, you have shorts, like, and they, they really promote it. They, they try and make it as easy as possible mm -hmm. for creators to get involved. Um, but they don't necessarily have a strong business case for doing it yet, other than TikTok's going to come and steal all of our lunch money. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's basically, so we have to do it in order as like a defensive maneuver mm -hmm. without thinking about, okay, but how do we actually make money from this mm -hmm. ourselves? What and, is this bringing to the, to the viewers and the, and all of that stuff as well? Well, yeah, it's, yeah. it's number one, is there demand for a million TikTok competitors? Maybe, mm. I don't know. But, um, to me, it just reminds me of the streaming wars where, okay, Netflix has this big thing coming in, stealing everyone's money. And then all these entertainment companies are like, Yeah. Uh, let's launch our own streaming services now. And it's like, well, hold on. Have you thought about how you're going to actually make money, especially with such a crowded um, ecosystem? Landscape, yeah. yeah. So uh, now you're seeing all these t entertainment companies really struggling with these types of things. Disney and Warner Brothers Discovery. And they're not, you know, they, they, I wrote an article quite a few months ago about how much money streaming services have lost in total, like uh, uh, across all of the different types of ones. Um, since they started trying to compete with Netflix, and it was a tremendous amount of money. I mean, they, they just, it's not positive mm. for any of these balance sheets. 
And I worry that it's a similar thing that could be happening with these TikTok competitors because as as they mentioned in the article and as you just brought up, like it's not necessarily good for business. They're not making quite as much ad revenue on short form than on the existing long form. I wonder if there was ever a kind of, do you think they felt that they had a choice? Because I think obviously YouTube started out, I don't know if you know this, it started out as like a dating site. Like a, no, you, really? Yeah, you posted a video of yourself being like, hey, I'm Ella, I'm 29, I'm from London, blah, blah. And it was like a dating thing, but it was like a sort of long form instead of reading a okay profile. Yeah, <laughs> dating tube. <laughs> but, 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 and then obviously it developed and, and, and big players got in, but it started out like as a very kind of lots of people just creating longer form content. That was what it was really good at, yeah. was being able to show something, explain something um, in, in a longer way, in a visual way. Um, you know, YouTube is the second biggest podcast platform in the world. Mm. And so, you know, people are going to YouTube, not necessarily in my head for short form content, they go to YouTube for a podcast or they go to YouTube for like, you know, I mostly from my personal usage, YouTube, when I first started using it was just music videos and then it was playlists. And then it was like these long, like music videos of like, you know, background music that you could just put on. And, uh, but then that was before the ad load got really annoying and it would just interrupt your, like, you'd be listening to a play, like a playlist. And then it would just be like, for me, I get pregnancy test ads all the time, oh, really, which is really, really frustrating. And it's just because I'm a woman and I fall in a specific age right. bracket. Um, but I think I was talking to uh, some male friends of mine. I was like, oh, we're just really sick of all the crypto ads. I just, yeah. yeah. So it's, it is, yeah. I still find it very gendered and very any, anyway interesting well, that's but, programmatic advertising yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah um uh but i do think that youtube maybe was it got, i i think it was good at long form content and people on i think there's a narrative that people are oh, people want stuff shorter quicker faster when actually i think a lot of times you can see this in i'm using the podcast example people want a deep dive they yeah. want to understand something and they're willing to listen to something for like half an hour 40 minutes an hour if it's something that they really care about and it's the same right. with their if they're selected youtube content creator they would willingly one of my friends is telling me yeah i'm i was like watching an hour and a half long video from one of these my the creators that i like um talking about gender rights blah blah blah, blah and I, I sat there for an hour and a half it's like watching a film right um well, so yeah <laughs> it's exactly right YouTube has a unique selling point. In fact, they, they, no competitor has even come close. I mean, there was like Vimeo or something, mm. but but everyone uses YouTube for this type of content. That's what they like using it for. And they feel like they need to compete with something that they inherently won't have a unique selling point because short form videos already being done by the competitor they're so worried about. And I don't know, uh, I don't want to be too critical. I'm sure, you know, the, the team at Alphabet mm. uh, you know, is very concerned about, you know, TikTok basically making YouTube obsolete with, you know, shrinking attention spans and and having great algorithms and all that stuff. Um, but at the same time, if you do something really well, then, then focus on making yeah. that product really good. And, and yeah, as I mentioned, there's not really a competitor, strong competitor to long form video content compared like YouTube. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, you know, you have linear TV uh, uh, broadcasters really concerned about YouTube's ongoing popularity. Also TikTok. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's like... <laughs> Like, it's like looking at like fish eating each other and you have like a big, big fish <laughs> eating a smaller fish, eating a smaller fish, eating a smaller fish. And that it feels like we're kind of like in the middle of this uh, and everyone's anxious that yeah. they're going to be I eaten. I mean, it's the kind of, is YouTube fit for TV? Um, the Barb panel uh, that Omar attended 
a few weeks ago yeah. um, where they were deciding a, through a bunch of YouTube videos whether or not it would be acceptable to be aired on TV. Um, I don't know how you watch YouTube if you do it on your laptop or yeah. not. Because uh, yeah. I either do it on my phone or I'll cast it I've to the TV. And when I first did that, I'm like, this feels wrong. Yeah. <laughs> this feels weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's, it is interesting, the kind of different... We still kind of have different buckets in our head being like... And but I don't think consumers would really differentiate between a YouTube video that they've watched and like something they've watched on a catch up service, something that they've right. watched on a streaming service, something that they've watched on live TV for them. It, it, yeah. And this has been said many, many times again, this is not a hot take, but it's just all content. It's so all content. It's all content. Yeah. Almost too much content. Too Well, <laughs> yeah, certainly if, if, if people as busy as, uh, as, as we often <laughs> tend to be, don't have enough time to actually consume all the content that, that we'd like to. And then you start thinking like, damn, like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. If that's, that's what I'm living for is just consuming <laughs> more content. But to be fair, I do, I do have mm. my little YouTubers that I like to support and yeah. everyone has those things that they just enjoy doing in, yeah. in their free time. I mean, there's like so many different ways to support those creators, like the Patreon, Patreon uh, yeah. and like, and, um, any other kind of those sorts of, you know, little things that you could do one off or like su subscription, mm. um, which I find quite interesting because they're, that that's like multiple revenue streams and stuff. I was, watching a um a documentary about from a youtuber that i used to watch back in 2000 and oh 13 14 wow, yeah. and so YouTube yeah days. so and and then they were talking to youtubers now because they've come off youtube and uh and it was it was a is a completely different beast now mm. like it's and it's much more professionalized a lot of the time in terms of if you're going to be a youtuber now you have like so much kit you have like in a lot of sometimes not all the time because it used to be like youtube was just someone like filming on a crappy digital camera yeah. or like on a like phone or whatever Numa, and it's Numa one person guy or whatever yeah and yeah. then now uh there's like you know you've got tripods and you've got like a studio and you've got all of this stuff it's yeah. it it's well it speaks it's, it's not just youtube it's all kind of social media mm -hmm. i'm using air quotes no no, no, no one can see <laughs> it does not translate to the <laughs> but, podcast um there was a great article and i think it was business insider last week where they talked about how people don't really post anymore like the average person even on instagram isn't mm. posting about their life anymore they might be sending pictures to friends and family and you know and sharing group chats or things, sharing yeah. posts but they're not posting at the same rate and i've done this as well but the people that are posting are these hyper professional like we want to be influencer creator types mm -hmm. and it creates actually like platforms of content that i don't really want to consume as much yeah. like i like youtube oh, i loved when it was just like a guy playing Minecraft yeah. and, and he had a really crummy mic and I was like 12 and I was like, yes, yes. I want to consume all of this content. And now, yeah, I ha part of it is also that YouTube's discover feature is, is awful <laughs> and it doesn't recommend things that I actually want to watch. It recommends things that it thinks I want to watch, but mm. I can only watch so many film photographers, <laughs> YouTube channels. Okay? Oh, I've got I want insight some different things. Into, into yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. I think I'm trying to think what, what, what was suggested on my YouTube. It is mostly food. Um, yeah. Sounds the, great. Yeah. Which is great. I, uh, um, and I think the only shorts that I really enjoy on YouTube are Dylan Hollis's and he kind of repurposes his TikTok and does them on a short, but you can't, they're not exactly the same. You're speaking to like but, a blank wall. But I haven't yeah. watched a single short <laughs> you haven't watched, video. You haven't even watched a short? I've, I don't think I've. 
I've ever watched an actual short. Okay, there's your headline right there. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same for TikTok. I just don't like the I don't like the format. Mm. I but but that's just it's, me. It's very yeah. It's very. I think I was on TikTok. Um, and then, and then I was kind of like the amount that you could just kind of, oh, this is, this is interesting. I did actually end up going to a comedy gig from someone that I found on TikTok who did Professor McGonagall impressions. And then she had her own live like, uh, show in Soho. And I was like, TikTok kind of made that happen. And that's kind of interesting when you see like them going on to other, mm. other bits. That's quite interesting. Um, but yeah, I, uh. I think my YouTube is quite boring, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think moving swiftly on what's happening later this week, and I'm sure you're going to be absolutely thrilled and so, oh, so boy. tuned into I'm this. Already, I'm already super excited. As the Rugby World Cup, Jack. Wow. <laughs> I have never, you know, other things I've never seen. I've never watched a full game of rugby. A full game, but you've watched some. Well, I've been to pubs where it was <laughs> where on. on in and the I'm background. like, why don't they just throw the ball forward? I think one of my, uh, well, they're supposed, they are throwing it forward. No, they're thought, not throwing they... it. They don't, can't throw it. No, no, they're throwing it backwards. Yeah. Right? yeah. yeah I was yeah. just like, I was getting confused then. No, they can't American throw it forward. American football, they yes, can throw it forward. forward. The superior sport. <laughs> the superior. <laughs> I'm going to get so much grief yeah. on that. Um, but I, uh, one of my favorite episodes of Friends of all time is when um, Ross's uh, English girlfriend, Emily, oh, yeah. uh, tries to get him to play rugby with her her English friends. And uh, and that just kind of sums up the That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll get uh, destroyed like Ross does yeah. if I ever played. So that's starting on the 8th of September. So mm. that's with the pool stage. Um, and it's ha happening in France. Um, and so all over France. So France, I was playing New Zealand in Paris um, to, to kick things off. And then on Saturday, we've got a bunch of matches, but one of them is England playing Argentina in Mar Marseille. Oh. Um, so there's going to be four matches that day. Um, and the whole tournament is going to be broadcast, uh, live free to air on ITV. So that's, you know, ITV one, ITV four and ITV X as well, their streaming service. Mm. Um, so yeah. Are you going to be tuning in Jack? No, <laughs> no, uh, but I can appreciate well, how, how amazing a year it's been in terms of sport. I watched Wimbledon for the first time this year. Mm. Fantastic. Mm. Women's world cup was really exciting to watch, especially with England performing really well throughout mm. the tournament. And I have this rugby tournament that I'm not going to watch, but I can appreciate that it, it, this is the world cup. This is like a big yeah, deal. This is a big deal. Right. Are you going to be watching? I will be definitely watching. And I think also for me, rugby watching is, is incomplete without a Guinness. And I, it's like, really? Yes, it is. The brand affiliation. Is yeah. That strong? It's, it's a really famous long-term sponsorship of rugby. And so you will and i mean guinness has become the uk or britain i think it was britain's most popular pint oh. so it's like this they play the long game of we're going to sponsor this this rugby tournament and it's and and just rugby in general it's just it seems to be the more popular pint to choose when you're at stadiums or when you're in the pub and stuff you'll see it in pubs everywhere it's like rugby world cup and guinness rugby world cup and guinness mm. or like rugby six nations and guinness so it's not just the world cup that they sort of uh, affiliated with it's just um so which i think is really interesting that i don't know you might be able to educate me here about american football if there is like a drink or like anything that is as um, synonymous like watching it is incomplete without having a, a, this drink well, or i don't think or we have a strong drinking culture in <laughs> the u.s because there's we have a lot of puritans over in that country but i think uh, or just people trying to be responsible to be fair um, <laughs> shade yeah shade but um in the yeah for like american football you will have uh brands that have advertised historically 
mm-hmm. that I would associate. So like uh, Budweiser and and then Bud Light. Mm-hmm. Bud Light has had amazing Super Bowl commercials in, in the past. I don't. It's been a while now mm-hmm. since I've paid attention to Super Bowl commercials. Um, just because living here and I have to wake and be up at like yeah. four in the morning to watch that, and it's just a bit of a pain. But um, yeah, for a while, uh, Bud Light, Budweiser's always got like commercial with uh Clydesdale's horses and it's cl- it's a classic it's like Coca-Cola and the polar bear I think it's also a Super Bowl ad that that historically has been associated I don't know how they how they pick those creatives but they're obviously iconic um but in terms of like I need to have a certain type of beer when I watch the game I don't I don't, don't think so. Like, I don't think so. I feel, yeah. But it, it brings maybe up it's the sort just of... me, but I, do, I don't <laughs> think it's me. Um, but I think, yeah, it does bring up a kind of the alcohol advertising, gambling advertising yeah, in sport. I and gonna, and I think say. I always find it kind of weird. Like if I'm watching like an athletics tournament or like a, 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 some sort of um, sporting event. And then you've got like these high fat sugar salt kind of junk food ads and <laughs> right. stuff. Like, and it's like, well, obviously athlete. these athletes don't, don't eat that yeah. and don't consume this and um but because it's just because it's like a mass spectator event and so you yeah. know you want to put your brand where the people's eyeballs are so that does make sense yeah um, and especially yeah. i mean not to gender things too much but at least like i think if you watch especially in american football i'm speaking the american context i just know it a little better like the ads are definitely targeted toward men like mm. they are assuming that men are the ones that are watching and we so we're going big on sports gambling we're going big on beer and cars and trucks especially mm. uh not looking forward to all the political advertisements that are going to be but i think that um yeah, there is, there's something to that. I'm not sure the industry has woken up to necessarily like sports are well beloved by all, all types of fans, mm-hmm. at least in America. I would like if I watch a game, like I'm a, seeing a lot of ads that are clearly yeah, directed toward men. I think, yeah. yeah, a lot of times when I've been to rugby matches and stuff, it's a lot more family atmosphere. There's more. Really? Yeah. It's not, I think it's in, in for me, I mean, I've been to football matches, I've been to rugby matches. Um, and I think. I enjoy both, um, but I do think that at football, it's a different atmosphere. There is the phrase, rugby is a hooligans game played by gentlemen and football is a gentleman's game played by hooligans. Whether that's true or not, Mm -hmm. I find that when I've been to rugby matches, people are a bit more, they're talking to each other in the stands and and there are more kids there. There's more families there. There's more, it is, everyone's a bit more convivial. Um, And then in football matches, I think uh, everyone is quite is i think that that but there is a history there that there was that that there are like very strong rivalries which you do also get in rugby but i think there is a kind of a different atmosphere yeah well it's the same in like like baseball is the most family friendly sport in Mm -hmm. the u.s um and i've been to football matches here where uh i've gotten a taste of how uh crazy it can get basically Mm -hmm. and then i go back home and i go to like a, a baseball game and i'm like little kids are out and they're like having a catch with their dad outside the stadium and they go in they get some like popcorn or hot dog and it's very yeah it's a different different atmosphere so this episode is very much turned into just me reminiscing about um, <laughs> about home yeah. but, but there are these big differences um mm. that that you know obviously especially as we globalize in terms of lots of different types of media that people need to retain awareness of Mm -hmm. yeah i'm quite excited in the in the world cup there are there are a few nations there are the nations that you'd expect you have like england france 
um, New Zealand, New Zealand, yeah. the, and Ireland, well, and the Ireland of the fair, of the favourites okay. uh, going in. But then you've got other nations like Fiji and Tonga and oh. other, and so Fiji won a, a gold medal um, for rugby, and they're like national heroes now. And so that's it's it's a really opportunities uh, yeah. there. Yeah, you opportunities know, for, for, there. I'd love Fiji to win. Yeah. Um, but, but also for advertising, right? It was, Talk about yeah. a global sport, growing the sport. Yeah, and so there'll be all of those audiences. There'll be people right. like you who got like to getting up at like stupid o'clock to watch these matches. And I think also it raises an interesting question. I think because ITV has historically had the, these broadcast rights, but Amazon's been picking up these uh, the international series. Mm. Uh, the, and so they can you can watch those. They're sort of like friendly matches. Um, and so you just wonder when, and there's been a bit of a fight over sports broadcast rights in general, Amazon's quite big on tennis, for instance. Mm. Um, so you just wonder where people are seeing the opportunities. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Those, those kind of things. Um, but yeah, I'm excited for the rugby world cup. You'll have to let me know. how. Yeah. I'll go to the pub. I'll send you a picture and I'll I'll make you jealous. Yes. With a Guinness. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Sounds good. Um, before we get to our media recommendations of the week, I wanted to quickly chat about your little fun feature about the top, uh, films about advertising professionals. Oh yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that. What was your favorite film on the list? What does it tell us about Adlanders and their perception in these movies? (laughs) Yeah. So I wrote this, um, I wrote this piece that was, you know, just looking at, you know, 10, 10 films that include advertising professionals as characters. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to do with advertising, Mm. but it it still says something. So it's not at an agency necessarily or anything. Quite a few of them are. Yeah. Um, the, my, the favorite one that, that I have is probably Kramer versus Kramer, which is Mm. just, I mean, it's just a fantastic movie. I still haven't seen it. Well, it's really sad. So I would, you know, <laughs> go into it in a certain mood or something. But yeah, Dustin Hoffman's character uh, is like an ad agency guy. He's an executive, kind of a hot shot and cocky and doesn't spend enough time with his family. And his marriage goes basically bust. And he ends up spending a lot more time with his son and things happen. He gets fired from his job probably because he was not um, emphasizing the work part of his work-life balance as much anymore as he wants to spend more time and get close with his son mm-hmm. um and and ultimately it's a bittersweet movie but i think it's a good example of uh, this is how the industry was viewed when the movie came out in 1979 i don't know how much has really progressed frankly i think people mm-hmm. like to be busy it's mm-hmm. kind of i feel like advertising marketing is one of the like core white collar jobs people would think of immediately of like constantly like workaholic type people mm, or like like the pitch and sort of working late yeah yeah you can picture it like in Mad Men, all of yeah, the great pitch scenes everyone's that they wo- like brainstorming ideas and and all of that working stuff. late yeah, working late usually getting paid pretty well i don't know if that's really the case as much <laughs> still but um yeah that was probably my favorite but i think overall a lot of the movies that that i looked at yeah there were it was very male dominated and to be fair a lot of the movies i was looking at were a bit older um, when the industry itself had not maybe reckoned with, we need to diversify our staff. But even now, you know, you still kind of have these men as hotshot executives. Image. Cocky. Yeah. The, the Don Drapers. Of- the Don Draper. Matthew McConaughey was even in... Um, How to uh, Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Yeah, was- I think that was my favorite on the list. Oh, was it? I was going to um, But I think that was kind of because uh, it's got the worst advertising tagline in the world um, because <laughs> he is trying to sell diamonds I think it is to yes. a um, to a female audience and his boss basically doesn't believe that he can sell to a female audience because he's like a jock 
like man's man. Right. Um, he does the beer commercials. He does the beer commercials. Yeah. He doesn't do the diamonds and the the luxury stuff. And he wants to like branch out and see, he comes up, I think with this line, which is go frost yourself for the diamond company. And I'm like, uh-huh. oh my God, that just, it just, it just gives me, gives me this like cringe, <laughs> go frost yourself. No, no. Um, <laughs> um, but that was 2003. That and was he, 2003 uh, in fairness. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Maybe go frost yourself is like, is a great tagline and I'm just Today, being judgy. <laughs> I don't know anything about diamonds someday. I'll need to learn about um, but uh, yeah. What, what, what have you been reading, watching, listening to recently that you can recommend to uh, I always go come into this wanting to not recommend another podcast, uh, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it's called Pod Save the UK. It's uh, with Crooked Media. Crooked Media, which yeah, did Pod Save, um, Pod Save America and Pod Save the World. Yes. And they launched in the UK over the summer uh, with comedian Nish Kumar and Guardian journalist Coco Khan. And they've got a really great uh, chemistry. It comes out once a week mm. and they normally have a guest on. And, uh, I just, I find that they, they balance the kind of, it is, it's the, the current affairs and everything, but they are quite acerbic and witty about it. And they are a bit more honest and upfront about like, well, I think this is, this is lunacy. This is like blah, 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 which maybe other current affairs podcasts can't say. Um, so that would be my, what I've been listening to most, um, because i'm now going back through like all of the previous episodes right, right um to so yeah probably when i go for my lunchtime walk today i'll put on another pod save the uk oh good mm. i mean i think that makes sense in terms of in the u.s it's the same deal these are these it was founded by former obama staffers so like his speech writers mm-hmm. and um they are very honest and the whole point of you know creating that media company was we don't think the news media does yeah. enough, especially for like people with a left of center or far or progressive, um, you know, political ideal that there's not really enough out there for them that speaking to them as candidly as I think people want to be spoken to. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's there. Um, in some ways it might, might not bode that well for the UK if there's a big <laughs> demand here for that, because that means something's perhaps gone a little bit wrong. <laughs> but yeah. I mean, it was, I think I'm, I'm now more interested having listened to that to maybe listen to pod save the world, which will yeah. cover more kind of global, um, things as well. Um, but, uh, I think I'd have to move something off of the podcast rotation. You can only listen to so much. You can only listen to so much, but I think, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of what is the recent discovery for me. What about you? Um, I haven't been, so I've been trying to read Bleak House. Oh yes. You've (laughs) just been carrying it around the office. (laughs) Which isn't a media recommendation, although it's technically it's publishing from a very long time ago. (laughs) Um, but, uh, so I haven't had a lot of time for media consumption outside of that. I did go to uh, see this German film called A Fire, which I actually don't think I can recommend because it, I didn't really enjoy it that much. <laughs> <laughs> it was about uh, a writer who's on like basically like a vacation from hell. I mean, first of all, he's a terrible person. Like he just... <laughs> he doesn't like, deserve a vacation. <laughs> no. Well, he's like trying to work this whole time, but he's in um the baltic sea trying to think of his novel and he's just very in his head and not really noticing all the other like bad things around him because he's just too selfish and that's basically the the story and there's a wildfire that he's ignoring and basically (laughs) comes back to bite but i think um i do like seeing a lot of foreign films so i'll give the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. to them a little bit more because i'm like usually 
they're doing something more interesting than what you'll get out of Hollywood, which today actually you won't get anything out of Hollywood because they're still on strike. <laughs> still on strike. And so, June's been pushed back. June part two. Did you see that? Yeah, but, I saw June. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the actors are obviously on strike, so they're not going to do a press tour and things. So right. I just wonder what this autumn, winter is going to bring. If How long has the strike been going on now? It's been it's three been months, three I months. Think. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you do start to worry. Um, there are some other films coming out this year that I'm really excited about that I hope doesn't don't get pushed mm. because... Um, you have like Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, which is based on a fantastic book by David Gran. Mm. That that can be a, a media That's recommendation. That's your recommendation. Go, re- go read that book yeah. before that movie this, comes this out. This could be media recommendations and like unrecommendations or non-recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> like but, don't yeah. see this. I watched Jungle Cruise last night with uh, oh, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson, Johnson yeah. and um, Emily Blunt. And, and because I knew going in, but I was talking to my sister about it. I was like, this is like a mix of, of Jumanji and... Indiana Jones and The Mummy, like with Brandon Fraser and everything, which is an amazing film. And it tries to do that, but it doesn't quite. And it, but I mean, it's, but it was just silly, but I, I kind of wanted some Sunday night silliness but it was so silly There's i was, always like, a time I was almost it. like i can't i almost can't finish this this is so silly okay so you're but, not recommending but that. i think i think that would be a sort of like you have to be in a very specific right. <laughs> state of mind and don't and just just don't analyze it beyond <laughs> what it is right um and i think also um, I found out recently that Dwayne Johnson is the most highly paid Hollywood actor. Yeah. Which yeah, just surprises me. I don't think he's a very good actor, but that's not very much of a hot take. No. But anyway. I think, if, if, <laughs> but would that movie have done well had Johnson and Blunt not been available or able mm. to promote it? Mm. That's kind of an open yeah. question because yeah. that's what studios are going to be facing. You have a new David Fincher film coming mm. out with Michael Fassbender. I think Fincher, like the directors mm. can promote it because yeah. they're not on strike. But so maybe if David Fincher can do that because he's a big name scorsese could do that he's a big name you can still put butts in yeah. seats but for the films that are like the jungle cruise that are definitely mm. more star led you do wonder will studios mm. be wanting to push them back and it's an open question yeah. but we'll we'll see we'll have to keep monitoring it as yeah. it goes on and yeah. i definitely want to keep going to the cinema and keep doing oh yeah watching new movies and all of that stuff i, I think it's but it's it's just yeah we've we've seen that whole like oh, should we try releasing this on streaming first and like, and then not doing the theatrical release and it, and it hasn't really worked out for, for the, the big companies. So, right. so I think, uh, we'll see what, and, and cinema has been through enough. It doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> need more issues. Go, yeah. Know. Go, go see a movie on the big screen. Yeah. You'll, you'll enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think we'll have to leave it there. Um, but we hope everyone's back to school week after the holidays goes smoothly. Oh, just gave and, me anxiety yeah. hearing that, even though I'm not. <laughs> doesn't it make you think of stationery and like kind of, you know, all of that fun stuff? I, I love. think of just torture <laughs> <laughs> and, and a nice heat wave. Uh, go enjoy that things off so yeah. yeah Jax thanks thanks so much for joining me no thanks for thanks for having me it's always a pleasure okay. to do these yes great thank you thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast this episode was edited by our production partners Trisonic you can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts but just remember please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode all of us at the media leader i'm editor omar oaks basic producer is jack benjamin see you next time